Well, friends, if you weren't here last week, you might not know this, but we are doing a new series called Unusual Characters. It's a lighter series for summer, talking about some of the people in the Bible that you probably have never heard of or don't know a whole lot about. This morning, we're going to talk about Ehud. Ehud is found in Judges chapter 3. And normally, we read the scripture ahead of time, but when I do stories like this one, out of scripture that are narrative in nature. They're so long that it's just easier for me to put them into the sermon. But I promise you, if you pull out your Bible, you'll be able to track all of the verses that I'm going to talk about this morning. So with that in mind, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us always find the ways to do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. With the 141st pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Shaquem Griffin, linebacker, University of Central Florida. By the time you get to the 141st pick in the draft, you are well into the fifth round, and you're not really sure if anybody's still paying attention to what's going on. But this year, that fifth round draft pick made history because Griffin is the first one-handed player ever drafted in the National Football League, and it's a big deal. He's from St. Petersburg, by the way. So often, our tendency is to want to separate and categorize people, especially people who are different from us, no one would be talking about Griffin if he had been drafted into the National Disabled Football League. Even subconsciously, we, we treat those with disabilities as second-class citizens. And, and a great example of this is how we treat the Olympics, right? We get to the Olympics, we have this non-stop 24-7 coverage of the Olympics, and then two weeks later, there's a 30-second blurb on the nightly news about how it's going in the Paralympics. We tend to make assumptions and, and have a different set of expectations for those around us who are considered handicapped, disabled, special, challenged, whatever label you want to stick on them. But one of the observations that can be made about our interactions with those who are disabled is that we learn a whole lot about who we really are based on how we interact with them. Now, today's unusual character is Ehud. Ehud comes on the scene in the Old Testament during the period of the Judges. So by this point, the Israelites have settled into their little corner of the ancient world. They've gotten pretty comfortable. You know, they, they did have that rocky period there for a while, but now we're in a place of comfort. And sometimes when we get too comfortable, we let things slide. We slack off. We don't pay attention as much. We lose our focus. And this is a pattern that the Israelites deal with consistently in the Old Testament. By the time we get to the book of Judges, the Israelites are nothing if not predictable. God saves them from oppression and disaster. They worship God. They get comfortable. They forget about God. They adopt ways of life that are not faithful. They create chaos. They fall apart. They land under oppression and again suffer for it and then start the cycle all over again. 
By the time that we meet Ehud, we are well, well into a period of suffering. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened King Eglon of Moab against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In alliance with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, he went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. So the Israelites served King Eglon of Moab for 18 years, which means that we're 18 years into deep oppression. A whole generation of Israelite kids were born and grew up under very dire circumstances. Eglon is known as one of the absolute worst of the enemy kings in the Old Testament. The reason, the reason that the people find themselves in this situation is that when given a choice between God and the ways of the world or the sins of the flesh, people will always choose the flesh. It is more attractive, it is an easier route. And so when the Old Testament writers are trying to express this, they communicate things like the Israelites fell into the ways of prostitution, false worship, gluttony, etc. All of the things that appeal to our earthly natures. Well, after 18 years, and we have to remember that the Israelites were never quick on the draw. It takes them forever to, to shift. The Israelites, after 18 years, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Interesting detail there. The Israelites sent tribute to him, uh, by him to King Eglon of Moab. Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he fastened it on his right thigh under his clothes. This is an extremely detailed story we got going on here. All right, so the Lord's plan is to once again deliver the people, and this time through a young man named Ehud. And here's what we know about Ehud. He is the son of Gera, whoever Gera is. He is a Benjaminite, and as pointed out, he is left-handed, which is kind of an odd detail, all things considered. It's almost as though the author wanted to make sure that we knew that being left-handed was a big deal. And it turns out that it is a big deal because the Benjaminites were one of the tribes of Israel, and they were known for their work with their hands, particularly their right hands, because Benjamin means son of my right hand. So what the author is getting at here is that Ehud, by Old Testament standards, is substandard. He is disabled because he is left-handed. I am sure there's somebody in the room this morning who is left-handed going, I'm not so sure I like that, <laughs> right? But you kind of wish, though, that, that, that um, the Benjaminites could have met Da Vinci or Babe Ruth or Marie Curie or even Oprah. Oprah's left-handed. They're all left-handers. But back then, this was a disability. It was not an honor. Nothing was ever going to be expected out of Ehud, and yet he's exactly who God chooses to save his people in this situation. One of the most interesting things about Shaquem Griffin is that during the scouting combine this year, he ran the 40-yard dash in 4.38 seconds. And that is the fastest time for a linebacker in all of recorded NFL history's official statistics. 
All of the commentators at the time kept bringing this up, that this was just an amazing thing, as this, this unbelievable thing that this handicapped man could set such a record. But remember what I told you about Griffin. He's the first one-handed player ever drafted in... Oh, oh. <laughs> he, he was excited to hear the word. So Griffin, <laughs> Griffin is the first one-handed player to ever play in the NFL. The last time I checked, when you're looking at running, you don't do it with your hands. We tend to assume that any disability renders someone utterly useless. And that's simply untrue and arrogant. God doesn't make useless people. He created each and every one of us with a purpose. Being left-handed didn't mean that Ehud was incapable. He just had to approach things a different way. Now, you know, Pastor Sung and I have three kids, and you would think by the time that you get to the third one, you kind of have an idea of what you're doing. But I'm right-handed, Pastor Sung is right-handed, Anna is right-handed, Peter is right-handed. So we all do everything the same. We all write the same way. Teaching letters was not a hard thing. And then one day, Maria's preschool teacher proudly announces to me that my youngest child is left-handed. I think that's actually kind of cool, but it changes how she goes about things, and what that means is that we have to change how we go about things, because when she sits down to do her homework, the paper has to be at a different angle, and we have to, we have to look at how we shape our words and our letters differently. And the other thing that's been interesting, too, is where she sits to eat and how much room she needs, because when you're right-handed, you just assume everybody else is right-handed, and it doesn't affect your space, but when you're left-handed and you sit with somebody who's left-handed, it changes how you have to go about things. It's not a disability, it's just different. Now we learn in this passage that Ehud knew how to adapt to his challenges. And we know this because scripture tells us that essentially he made a dagger and he hid it on his right thigh under his clothes, which again, seems like such a trivial detail. Verse 17, then he presented the tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Again, more detail on this. Have any of you ever visited the White House? Has anybody ever had a chance to go to the White House? If so, you, ne you know that there's some security background checks that have to be done, and then you have to pass through more security when you get there, metal detectors and all that stuff. Well, even back in the day, you couldn't just waltz into the king of Moab's palace. There had to be some security details, and, and admittedly, they're not going to be as sophisticated as what we do today. So Ehud has this dagger that he's hidden, and he's going to have to get through security. I must admit, I don't carry a dagger on a regular basis, but I learned that weapons uh, that, were that back then were stored on the opposite thigh of the dominant hand. So that's why we're going with the right thigh. So meaning from a security checkpoint in the ancient world, the natural tendency is always going to be to check the left thigh because everybody, all the normal people, are right-handed. And Ehud put the dagger on his right thigh. The other interesting fact that I just pointed out to you in verse 17 is that King Eglon was a very fat 
Man, we don't know how fat, very fat is, but given that Elon is such an awful man who clearly indulges in all the sins of the flesh, flesh I want to picture him as somewhere between the size of Boss Hog and Jabba the Hutt. He's a big, big man. And here's left-handed Ehud with this enormous king. So when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent the people who carried the tribute on their way. But he himself turned back at the sculptured stones near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king said, silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. Ehud gives the king the gift from the people. And, and when we talk about gift here, understand that a tribute is more of a required thing. It's not, oh, I love you. It's here, I have to give this to you because you told me I did. So um, Ehud gives him the gift, but then he appeals to the king's sense of self-importance. All those things that the king represents about the ways of the world, ego is one of them. And so, so Ehud says, I have a secret. It is just for you. So the king sends everybody else away. Shaquem Griffin lost his hand when he was four years old. He didn't lose his brain. If you look him up sometime, you will see how he did some very strategic things that opened up the doors of opportunity for him later on. Ehud is no different. He's managed to sneak a weapon into the king's palace. He's also convinced the king to be alone with him in a room. Ehud came to King Eglon while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber and said, I have a message from God for you. And so the king rose from his seat. Also a big deal. You got to picture this. You have this enormously fat king just laying out on his rooftop pool deck, eating grapes, drinking wine with his important self while the Israelites are suffering down below. It's just the king and Ehud, and the king is convinced that whatever it is, Whatever the secret is that Ehud is about to share is at least worth him getting up out of his seat to stand up to hear. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, that disabling left hand, and he took the sword from his right thigh and he thrust it into Eglon's belly. The hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the dirt came out. Ehud has this small moment of opportunity, and he goes right for the gut. The gut is that place that's going to expose the sins of the flesh, right? Your gut is essential to your health, both your physical and your mental health, and Eglon's gut is so fat so full of sin and vile that the fat closed over the blade and it disappears into the enormous cavernous depths of his stomach. And in return, dirt comes out. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what would come out of you if you took a hit to the gut? Figuratively and metaphorically, what would come out of you for the king, nothing but dirt. Well, then Ehud went out to the vestibule and he closed the doors of the roof chamber on him and locked them. So you can picture this, right? 
Nothing to see here, folks. Just the left-handed Israelite come to pay tribute to the great king, the great fat king, who now happens to be locked by himself in a room, dead, and Ehud just walks home. Just walks home. After he had gone, the servants came. When they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, he must be relieving himself in the cool chamber. So they waited until they were embarrassed. And when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. There was their Lord lying dead on the floor. Ehud escapes while they delayed and passed beyond the sculptured stones and escaped to Sarah. They thought he was in the bathroom. That's what they thought. No one went in because it was the king and he was on the toilet and it would be rude to interrupt. So they just left him there. They just left him there while Ehud walks home and, and they were trying to be respectful. So they waited so long that by the time they got in there, Ehud is long gone. Can you believe it? The disabled guy, the shame of the Benjaminites, single-handedly, left-handedly, took down the king of Moab. And he did it not in spite of, but with the benefit of his so-called disability and the power of God's call on his life. Well, when he arrived, this is Ehud, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hill country, having him at their head. He said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of Jordan against the Moabites and allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they killed about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. No one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. What Ehud did impacted the Israelites for an entire generation and then some. So this isn't one, just one of those stories where God picks the underdog to change the course of history. It's a teachable moment for us as the church. So there's two things I want you to take out of this story. The first is how easy it is for us to get wrapped up in the ways of the world, in the sins of the flesh, that, that sometimes we are so comfortable that every once in a while we need somebody to come at things with a completely different, completely random approach to really see where we are. It should not surprise us in the least that people who the world has labeled as disabled or handicapped are some of the most creative and inventive people and problem solvers on the planet because they have to be. That is all that they know. And when these special people are involved in the church, they push us to be more creative and inventive in the ways that we do life together. So every time that we encounter someone with special needs, we get to see a new way of being the church together, whether that's by installing the big screens in the sanctuary in the other building for those that cannot see well, or the hearing loop for those that cannot hear well, or the sensory room for the kids with sensory processing issues. Our church gets better every time that we have to see worship in a way that we've never seen it before. And had it not been for some really special people in our church, we might not have any of those things today. Sometimes the approaches that the churches take towards families and individuals with special needs is one of unease and, and discomfort. 
And typically when we're, when we're ill at ease or we're discomforted, our immediate response is to try to push it away from us as, as quickly as possible. Many churches think that that's the way to handle special needs. They're wrong. They're wrong because if we get too comfortable, that's when we're at greatest risk for falling into the ways of the rest of the world. Families and individuals with special needs quickly discover that the world was not made for them. But let me tell you this, the church is. The church is. The second thing that we learned from Ehud is that he didn't dwell on his so-called disability. We're not even sure that he would have understood it to be a disability because it's all that he knew. He was just Ehud, and he, through his method that seems radically unconventional to us, he accomplished his mission, his way, God's way for him. So if God has convicted you through the power of the Holy Spirit to do something for the kingdom of God, there is no disability on the planet that can hold you back from that. You might have to go about it in a very different way, in a way that others might not even consider, but if you put yourself out there, God is going to use you one way or another. And church, we have to be open to that. Imagine how the words, but we've always done it this way, sound to someone who's never been able to do it the way it's always been done. The church should never see someone with special needs as a hindrance, but as an opportunity to approach a whole new ministry. We're just starting to get that here at Kirkwood. I just mentioned several ways that we're starting to get it, but we really need your prayers this week. Very intentional, very persistent prayers this week. Elder Diane Ingram and I have applied for a grant, and this grant would allow us to send almost all of our educational ministry team to a conference next year that is a conference on how to make your church accessible to those with special needs. We're about to find out if we're going to get it. We should find out by Friday. Now understand, we're not looking to be a church for left-handers or right-handers or any-handers. Our goal, our call, is to be a church for everyone, right, left, no hands at all. Because you see, church, it's not the hands that God's most interested in. It's the heart. And a courageous heart, even in the most unconventional, unexpected ways, can expose the sins of the flesh and set the people free for generations to come. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for creating us all in a special and unique way, for giving us very, very different gifts. And we pray that you would forgive us for when those moments come when we see someone who is not exactly like us, exactly the way that we think the world should be, and discounting their worth and their value as part of our human family. So we pray, Lord, that as a church, we would be the ones to seek out those who come at life differently, who bring a level of creativity and innovation that we might not consider from our normal places. Help us to be that church that goes forward in faith and takes risks for the kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.